Second Peter chapter one, we'll start there in just a second. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, very encouraging to see everybody here. Um, everybody's here before we would normally get here. You've already been here way longer than you normally would get here in the first place. And I'm noting that because uh, to me that reflects, one, everybody's uh, cooperation in this has reflected our interest in God's things and our care for each other. That's encouraging. The sacrifice that it's taken, the uh, investment, not only in actually, I know it's just a half hour, but it's a half hour on a Sunday. That's not just a half hour. It's not a normal half hour. That's a lot more. Um, but even more than that, the cooperation, the, the forethought, the investment that everybody made. Remember, this wasn't just one or two people made this decision. This was a, a joint decision we made as a congregation. Everybody's interested in that. Some places might be like, eh, I don't care, whatever. Don't just tell me I'll show up or I won't. Uh, that's not the spirit here, and I'm thankful for that, and I pray that God will help us increase in that more and more all the time, that we'll increase in our care for each other, our love for him, and the work that he's given us uh, in the world to do. And, of course, all those things are inspired by the, the songs that we just sang that Antonio selected for us and, and helped us to think about. The blood that Jesus shed, the love that the Father has shown, the Savior that we have in Jesus Christ, is what inspires us to go on every day to do everything that we're doing for him. Um, and of course, that last song is a great one. There's lots of arenas in which we can sit back and say, I need the Lord every moment of every day, all the time. But what for? What for? Maybe to flip it around, why is God so interested in being there for us? Why did he send such a savior? What's his love all about such that Jesus' blood would be spilled on our behalf? What's the point? What's the goal that God has for all of this? And this is an important question. On the one hand, maybe if you're just sitting back one day thinking about God, you may wonder, what's the point? Why is God doing all this stuff? What's, what's God's goal in my life? What's the purpose God has for my life? We'll talk like that. But it really comes to, to bear in a practical day-to-day -day matter whenever we run into something that is really hard to do. It's, it's pretty clear. God's told me this is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't much like it. I'm not real interested in doing it, and I'd prefer not to, and I don't know why. What is the point of this? What's the point of Jesus dying on the cross? What's the point of God's love for me? What's the point of all these commandments and all this stuff? What's the point of us getting together and singing these songs and praying these prayers and reading this book? And do, what is the point? Now, if God had not told us, and he just said, hey, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I did, then that'd have to be good enough for us, if that's it. And there are some things like that, where God just says, hey, sorry, not explaining it. You just have to trust me on this one. That's fine. But actually, this question of what's the point, what is God's goal in the gospel, what's the goal that he has for each and every one of us, is not something that we're left to question. He tells us. And this passage here in 2 Peter chapter 1 helps us with it. Just to set the context, of course, we're reading First and Second Peter uh, this month. That's our, our uh, daily Bible reading uh, plan. So uh, that's what we're going to think about this a little bit. But at this point in 2 Peter, Peter uh, speaks such a way it reflects he's an old man. Actually, he says that it was indicated to him by the Lord that he was soon to put off this tent, meaning he was going to die soon. <laughs> And someone you could imagine asking Peter, Peter, you've been through a lot. Traveling all over the folks, telling people about Jesus. 
nobody liked that you, I mean, except the people who believe, but all the people that matter in the world, they didn't like that you were talking about Jesus. You've been beaten, you've been in prison, you've been ostracized, you've lost, you gave up on your fishing dreams, Peter. You're gonna have a big fishing business. You just gave it up back in Galilee and now you're out here. What? Why do you do it? What's the point, Peter? What's it all about? Read with me in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and let's find out. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let's pause right there. After reading that, what would you say that Peter's explanation would be of what the point is? what God's goal is and all the stuff that he's done, what the point is of all our obedience to Christ and our trust in Christ and the life we live. What is the point, according to what Peter says here? Do you see it there in verse 4? All the things God has said, all the things that he has done are so that we would become partakers of the divine nature, that we would become partakers of the divine nature. That's God's goal in the gospel. That's the goal of Every time we gather for worship, every time we speak with one another, every, t- every confession of sin, every time you open this book, every time you pray, every time you resist a temptation, every time you do an act of service for someone in need, the point of all those things is that we would become partakers of the divine nature. If somebody asked you, is that the way you would talk? Hey, man, why are you a Christian? Why do you follow Jesus? Is your answer, well, I would like to be a partaker of the divine nature? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Maybe it needs to be, though. Maybe it needs to be. And actually, everybody kind of is looking for this in some way, shape, or form. You know, to be beautiful, as beautiful as I can be. To be as intelligent, more intelligent than anyone else has ever been. To be stronger and faster. To be successful. To change the world. To do something. To change somebody's life. All these things are little whispers of what God actually made us for from the very beginning. You remember this, right? Genesis chapter one. How did God build human beings? Interesting thing, in Genesis chapter one, whenever God built the universe, um, it just says he made stuff just out of his own imagination, the power of his creative imagination. He created all these things. So light and day, uh, excuse me, night and day, light and dark, the sun, moon, and stars, uh, the atmosphere, the earth itself, uh, fish, animals, all that stuff. It says God just made it. God just made it. But then there's a pause in the action in Genesis 1. In verse 26, it says, And then God said, Let us make human or man or mankind. And with that one, God didn't just say, Let's just make it. He said, There's actually already a template that we're going to use to make it. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. We, weren't, we didn't just come out of God's imagination we actually came out of the mirror of God. You understand? God observing himself, considering himself, said, I'm going to make a being, a class of beings that are like me. 
course, the problem, whenever you don't listen to the one who made you and you actually directly disobey the things that he tells you to do, you don't live up to what you were supposed to be. And so we have this tarnish, though we still have the image of God, it's all tarnished and messed up through sin. But then Jesus showed up. And you remember the kinds of things Jesus would say when he would meet people? He'd meet somebody at a tax booth or a fishing or just out there, whatever. And what would he call them to do? He would say, follow me, follow me. Not just here's an instruction manual for how to live, but follow me so that you will be my disciples. And in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24, Jesus said, hey, listen, y'all need to know, those of you who are following me, you're not better than me, okay? The disciple is not above the teacher. The teacher is the top dog, but here's the deal with this. It is enough. You, you don't need to be searching for that power or that greatness, but here's the greatness. Matthew 10 verse 25, Jesus said, it is enough. It is enough that the disciple become like the teacher. That's what Jesus wants. That's what his goal was all along, was to make us like him. All right, so for the next few minutes, I want us to consider what does this actually mean? There's a couple of, this, this is all throughout the New Testament. This is one of those things that I think sometimes, at least for me, maybe not for you, it's easy to read over these verses like, oh, yep, yep, I got it. I'm supposed to be like Jesus without really just stopping and thinking this is the point and how big of a deal it is that we could be partakers of the divine nature, that we could, in other words, be like God himself. This is tremendous. And the New Testament is full of this and with explanations and pictures that will help us understand it. So I want us to think about what, is the, what does this mean to be a partaker of the divine nature? Secondly, how do we get there? For that, we're going to come right back here to 2 Peter chapter 1. And then finally, uh, what's the end goal of that goal? All right, the goal of the goal. Ready? All right, go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, we're going to start reading verse 28. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, 95 edition today. If you're following along and want to, feel free to read other translations. That's great. But if you want to follow along with the exact one, uh, that's the one we're reading from. Romans 8, verse 28, an amazing chapter about the confidence that we should have in Christ, the hope that we have of new life out of the dead because of the power of the Spirit of Christ that dwells in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Everything that happens in your life, everything, God, it doesn't mean that it is good, but God will use the good, the bad, the ugly, your failures, your successes, things that happen to you, things you do. God will use all of that. If you love him, he'll use all of that for your good because he's got a purpose in mind for you. Sounds good. What's this good purpose, God? Of course, you all know, I actually had a list and I thought about reading them off, but I thought, you, you, you already know. A lot of people insert, oh yeah, here's that good purpose. Here's another good purpose. Here's a good purpose. What is the actual good purpose? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He had an idea. Though he said, there's gonna be people who love me. What's the destiny for those people who will love me? Those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. What does it mean to be a partaker of the divine nature? Well, one thing it means is, is that you're shaped uh, with the DNA of Jesus, the Son of God. You're shaped with the DNA of Jesus, the Son of God. That's what verse 29 says. That what God is working in us, and we're not there yet, but I'll tell you, you're probably a lot closer than you. I'm not yet probably. If you're following Jesus, you're a lot closer than you used to be of looking like Jesus, of having his DNA. And sometimes you wake up, you're like, why do I do this stuff? It's just natural now. It's just how I live because you're bearing the family resemblance. You've been brought into the family and things are changing in you. You're becoming a partaker of the divine nature. You're becoming like him. 
this uh, sort of imagery uh, meant a lot, means a lot to me for a silly reason. So y'all remember whenever we lived uh, over at 80 Clarkson, right? We lived in the apartment there on the second floor. And Stephen, uh, some of y'all don't know my brother Stephen, but I think most do. Stephen uh, and I had kind of different schedules. So we'd come in and out at different times and stuff. And folks would see us and we'd say hi and, you know, hey to the neighbors and stuff like that. Uh, but nobody knew the difference between us. People would ask Stephen, they'd be like, hey, how are your kids doing? And at first he'd be like, well, they're my niece. And eventually he was just like, they're good. And he'd just keep it moving. <laughs> and sometimes Stephen and I would, we go to a movie or we'd go out to dinner or whatever. And we'd come in, just the two of us, or maybe all of us would be coming in together. And we'd be walking together and one of the neighbors would see us. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, we're not twins. There's four years between us. We don't even look that similar, but we do, you know. But anyway, uh, we'd walk in together and people would be like, they saw a ghost. They'd be like, there's two of y'all? And be like, yeah, yeah. So, so here's my point with that, all right? I think this is a helpful way of thinking about what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature. We're not going to be precisely Jesus, you understand? We're not going to be precisely God. We will not become God. That's, of course, maybe there's some Eastern philosophy, like you were going to become a part of the one. That's not the idea here. But we, bear, we will bear such a resemblance to God himself. We'll be his sons to where people, if they saw us and saw Jesus walking in the building at different times, they might get a little confused over which one is which. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what we're going for. That's the goal that God has for you. That's the good goal that God has in mind, the purpose that God has in mind for your life, that we, he would be the firstborn among many brothers who are conformed to his image, share the same DNA, look like him, almost to the point of confusion. That's what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, another image that um, the scriptures use to help us understand what it means to be partakers of the divine nature. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a text where Paul is talking about the ministry. Of course, we've been studying this in our uh, class on Sundays and Thursdays, uh, the, the ministry of the new covenant. And he's been talking about the suffering that he goes through for that and the difficulty and the actual true nature of the new covenant. And so I might say, Paul, what's this all about? Well, you know what it's all about. It's about helping people become partakers of the divine nature. That's why I suffer. That's why I go. That's why this gospel needs to be preached. That's why Paul says you need to understand so you can be built up to be a partaker of that divine nature. What does that mean? Verse 18, look at the way he describes it. Uh, maybe I'll say this just to set it up a little bit. He's been talking about Moses and the glory of God that Moses beheld on Mount Sinai. In that story, Moses had asked God, let me see your glory. And eventually God did show him such that uh, Moses had God's glory emanating from his own person to where he had to veil his face. There's a whole discussion. We won't get into all that. But here's the point. Something changed in Moses because he saw the glory of God. Verse 18 says of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory. I believe this means from God's glory to glory, to us sharing in that glory. Justice from the Lord, the Spirit. All right, what does it mean to become a partaker of the divine nature? It means that you begin to embody the essence of God. This is kind of similar to the brotherhood idea, right? But the glory, the thing that makes God weighty, significant, powerful, all the great things, those things come into who you are and in your character, such that whenever people saw Moses, it spooked them. They were genuinely frightened because of the glory of God that was emanating from him. And I want you to think about what this means, that you would share in the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 12, which we were reading in our reading uh, last month, Hebrews 12 says it this way, that God disciplines us so that we may share his 
holiness, same idea. The holiness of God, the glory of God is something that we share. Do you ever just contemplate what that even means? This is the glory of the being who said, hey, Moses, honestly, you can't look at me in my face. If you did, you'd die. That's the glory that we're talking about. The holiness of God that we're coming to share is holiness that, that in Isaiah chapter 6 is portrayed that God is there. And actually, it's, it's, it's not even the fullness of him that Isaiah sees. But what he does see is these uh, heavenly creatures flying around covering their faces because they can't even behold God, just constantly crying out, holy, 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 over and over and over again. That's how great God really is. That's the glory of God that's being talked about. And what this passage says is that God is the God's purpose as we become partakers of the divine nature is that we would embody that glory. I have no idea what that even means. And I don't think we're ever going to know fully until we get there. But it's important that we understand what God is promising. The great and precious promises that Peter was talking about back in 2 Peter 1 is that we would share in the very glory of the one that if he said, if you were to see me face to face, you'd die on the spot. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Another image that helps us understand this uh, becoming a partaker of the divine nature. It means that we become sons of God sharing the DNA of Jesus uh, in a spiritual, essential way. It means that we are transformed into the same image of the glory of God. Colossians chapter 3 is a text about um, or your behavior. Don't lie. Don't be wrathful. Don't be lustful. Don't be greedy and idolatrous. List off all that stuff. Starting in verse 12, put on a heart of compassion, humility, gentleness, kindness, all kinds of things that, that we need. to. It's a passage about your ethics, about your behavior. Why? What's going on whenever we submit to these things. Colossians 3 and verse 10 says this. It says, you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. What's God doing? He's renewing you. Although some of you, you either have a footnote or if you're reading from a different translation, maybe actually a different word entirely besides renewed. Uh, some say renovated, renovated. You guys ever done a renovation before? Maybe in your apartment, in your home, or on some uh, you know, classic item that you wanted to restore or whatever? Think about that process. Uh, maybe, and if not, you, we've all seen the shows. Those were popular. I think they're still kind of popular, but they're kind of a niche now. But anyway, you, you know, these people who renovate homes, what do they do? The first thing they do is they go in and they gut out all the old garbage. So there's a lot of garbage left. And if we're going to make this new thing, we're going to clean out all the bad stuff. That's what repentance is. It's God gutting out all the nasty stuff out of your life. And then there's still some stuff there. I mean, it's still your home, but then there's brand new stuff that starts getting put in there. Such that whenever you walk in, it really doesn't look like your home anymore, even though you know it's still the same foundation, same fundamental elements, maybe the, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, framing, all that stuff's the same, the walls, some of the sheetrock, et cetera, is the same. But a lot of it's brand new stuff. You're being completely renovated. You know, whenever you sit back and you say, man, I don't know about all this, becoming a partaker of the divine nature, that seems a pretty, pretty distant goal for me. Maybe some of y'all good people, y'all could become a partaker of the divine nature, but not me. My DNA is too far away from Jesus. My, my image is too far away from the glory of God. Well, look, just chill out, obey the Lord, trust in him, more to that in just a second, and understand that this is how it works for everybody. It's a full-scale renovation. And then at the end of that renovation, what will happen is you will look like the sun. You will bear the image of the glory of God. 
you'll be, verse 10 says, in the image of the one who created you from the beginning to be like him. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about becoming a partaker of the divine nature. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 2 and 10. There are so many passages that address this. We've only touched on a couple here. I hope you'll just see that this is the goal that God is constantly reminding. Hey, I know this is hard. I know this is confusing. I know it's difficult to follow Jesus and to obey and to trust me. But if you'll do it, we'll get there at the end. You'll be a partaker of the divine nature. All right, how do we get there? How's God going to take us there? 2 Peter chapter 1 once again. 2 Peter 1. Look at verse 1 of what we read, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Where does this whole thing start? What's the essential element? What's at the very nucleus of this alchemy that God's working to bring us to be people who are partakers of his divine nature? Do you see it there in verse 1? Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's at the core of this whole thing? Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. This goes back to those of us who say, yeah, I don't, like all that partaker of the divine, I couldn't be like Jesus. I admire Jesus. I need him every hour. I'm thankful his blood washes away my sins. But I can't be like him. That's crazy talk. I've got a bad temper. I'm a prideful person. I've got this gossip issue. I'm too lustful. And I've trained myself for too long. Okay, listen. Step one is you stop thinking that you becoming a partaker of the divine nature is your little goal and your little mission and your little project you're working on. It's not your house to renovate. God's the one who created you and he's recreating us in Jesus Christ. And so it's faith in Christ that's the fundamental element, the core of this transformation to become partakers of the divine nature. Notice in verse five, we're gonna come more to this in a second, but uh, Peter reiterates it. He says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, add to your, in your faith, supply, and then he makes a list. Or some translations say, add to your faith, or some say, supplement your faith. This is the core, is that you trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done and who he is and his wisdom and his power and his greatness. That's the core of this whole thing. And that's actually a big reason I'm saying this for those of you who are going to read 2 Peter later, uh, and anyone, I think this is valuable for us to remember. Peter was very concerned that people were losing their faith in Christ. Most of this letter is devoted to, hey, there are people out there trying to shake you from your confidence in Jesus. There are people who are false teachers, just like there were false prophets before. There are false teachers about Jesus now. And he says, hey, y'all listen to us. You actually notice the us, we language. You see that in verse, verse 1. Uh, to those, he speaks to other people who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. That's one example. But he speaks in terms of there's a group that Peter is a part of, that he's addressing his audience, saying, hey, I'm a part of this special group. Now, you're a part of that same special group, but we didn't follow cleverly devised fables. We didn't receive this secondhand. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were there. We saw the whole thing. The witness of the apostles, the reason why we read the scriptures and don't just all sit around and say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And come up is because they actually saw it. And our faith is secured, not in our philosophical beliefs about things. Our faith is not secured in what we all agree is good. Our faith is not secured in anything else other than the eyewitness of people who said, I saw him. I saw him do the magical things that he did. They were more than magical. They were miraculous. They were powers that we had never seen before. Most of all, 
Of all the powers that he demonstrated, he changed us. He took us from scared little boys in Galilee and he made us bold such that whenever the authorities would see us, they recognized, Acts 4 and verse 8, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Why did they recognize they had been with Jesus? Because they were becoming partakers of the divine nature. They were having the same DNA. It was confusing. They looked at each other and said, didn't we just do this a few months ago? What? It was, they had become like him. If we're going to build, so here, here's the little, uh, you want to say, how do I become a partaker of the divine nature? Pay a lot closer attention to what the apostles and prophets have to say. That's what Peter says. He says that at the end of chapter one. He says it again in chapter three. He says, hey, you want to become a partaker of the divine nature? Pay much closer attention to what the word of God says, to what the apostles and prophets have said, so that your faith will not be shaken by the many, many attacks in this world, but it'll be grounded on the reality of who Jesus Christ is so that you can become a partaker of the divine nature, not through trusting yourself or believing that you can change and become something great but through your faith in Christ. That's the fundamental, that's the main thing. But notice there's something else here in these verses. Uh, if you were to kind of look at verses one, beginning in verses one through four and moving through the text, there's a word that pops up a lot here about what's essential. And it actually relates to the notion of faith. Verse uh, two, he goes on and says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Love that phrase, be multiplied to you. Peter and Judah, the only people that use that phrase, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Paul just says grace and peace. Peter says there's more. You ain't a partaker of the divine nature yet. It's going to need to be multiplied. Grace and peace be multiplied. You where? How? How's this going to happen? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. All the stuff pertaining to life and God that we need comes through the end of verse 3, the true knowledge of him. Uh, verse uh, 5 and 6, he speaks about adding to our faith knowledge. Uh, again, in verse 8, how about this one? Verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to become partakers of divine nature, it starts with faith in Christ, and we build upon that faith with the true knowledge of God. Now, some translations don't actually distinguish. There's two words for knowledge used here. One is just the word knowledge, like just kind of factually knowing something. But then there's another word that's a more intense, precise, factual knowledge that in Greek, we don't necessarily have uh, English words that exactly map, out, map onto this. But in Greek, there's that knowledge. And then there's, as some translations try to capture it, true knowledge, essential, the, the real knowledge, the real thing. If you want to become a partaker of the divine nature, you've got to actually understand the divine nature. You've got to build true knowledge of God. And of course, you know this is true. At your workplace or with something that your parents taught you to do when you were growing up or some mentor taught you to do or when you were in chemistry class, you could read what's on the page. But it's not until you get in the lab that you gain some true knowledge of the information that was on the test. You remember that? You didn't understand it until you saw the stuff blow up and you're like, oh, that's what he meant. Watch out for that. Or whenever you see the, the mixture work just right and be what it ought to be. Like, oh, now I understand because I'm getting my hands on it. Well, what's our version of that? What is the true knowledge of God? Actually, the text tells us. Look in verse 5 again. We've skipped over this. This, is, this may be the part that you may be most familiar with if you've read this passage before. Verse 5. Now, for this very reason also, I think the reason being, hey, you need to, we're pursuing the divine nature, which comes through faith in Christ, building a true knowledge of God. For this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. This is that basic knowledge kind of thing. And in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, 
and in your brotherly kindness, love. Four, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they're being multiplied, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of God. How do I gain this true knowledge, Peter? How's the true knowledge something that's going to grow in my life? Well, here's how. You got that faith in Christ, right? Yes, I do. I don't know what to do next. Okay, here we go. Uh, add to your faith virtue. Be a virtuous person. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Be a virtuous person. Gain knowledge. You've got some faith. That's good. But keep growing in your understanding of the gospel and the teachings of scripture and who Jesus was and what he did. Grow in your knowledge. Add to your faith virtue. And that's that virtue. Add knowledge. Add some self-control. You got those impulse problems. You can't keep your mouth shut when an argument gets started. You can't control your emotions with people that you care about so deeply. You, uh, you, you've got problems with lust or what? Listen, it's time to get some self-control. You got to add to your faith some self-control. Uh, and, and by the way, you can't just be self-controlled once. Be like, all right, I'm protecting the divine nature. Uh-uh, you got to persevere. You got to keep on going in that thing every day. And as you do that, you don't do it just for you or for your neighbors, though you do it certainly for those reasons. But the real reason you do it is you're oriented toward God. You're a godly person. And it's for God that you do this stuff. It's because you love him. You want to please him. You want to serve him that you do all these things. And as you do that, though, you're not just a person with your head up in the clouds thinking about God all the time. As you're thinking about God, it leads you to the same character as God, a partaker of his divine nature. You show kindness, brotherly kindness. Even if people, or I like some translations say, brotherly affection. Even you don't feel those feelings for somebody. You force yourself to treat them like a brother because Jesus did that for you. And you're trying to embody, you're trying to let his DNA seep into your soul and to change who you are. So you have to be a person of brotherly affection and you make whatever sacrifice are necessary for love. And in this, as you do it every day, and those of you who do this, you know this, you understand God better. The more you serve and the more you get your heart broken and mistreated, it makes you think, man, this is how I feel. Imagine how God feels about the way we treat him. Whenever you're someone who shows affection and it's unrequited or thrown back in your face, you think, man, every day, that's what God's doing. And living a godly life, you're always thinking about God and you want to know what he thinks about things whenever you're making decisions on the job or with your money or whatever. And when it comes to self-control, you think, man, you understand? All these things bring us to a true knowledge of God. And as we understand God better, as we emulate God better, we become partakers of the divine nature more and more. Little kids, when they're born, they don't understand what it's like to be in a family. They're just there making noise, doing whatever they do. But as they get trained up, they become like their parents. Because their parents, for good or for bad, their parents teach them how to be like them. Here's what I do, kid. Now you do that same thing. And then all of a sudden you're saying, man, you look like your dad. Yeah, he forced me to. He trained me to my whole life. That's what happened, you know. Or my mom or my whoever was it. Right? That's what God's doing for us. And the great thing is all of our parents and guardians and earth, they did their best, but they weren't great, perfect. Even the best of them weren't that great because they were still sinners in need of the grace of God every day. But our Father in heaven the one who's making us to become partakers of his divine nature. He doesn't make no junk with what he does. Now you can tell there's a, there's another uh, thing here. There's a third thing that's required in order to become partakers of the divine nature. Starts with faith in Christ. That's the essential core of this whole thing. It grows and multiplies as we grow in our true knowledge of God. The third thing is in verse five. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence. Oof. Applying all applying diligence would be hard enough. Well, I just say be diligent would be hard enough. 
but apply it really makes me sound like, okay, I got to get pretty serious about thinking about this. And then he says, all diligence, all diligence. I like, I think some translations say, make every effort, effort. When was the last time you made effort in something? Make every effort to do this. Skip down to verse 10, uh, verse 9. It says, if we don't build the true knowledge of God on faith in Christ in order to become a particular divine nature, if we don't do this, verse 9, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification, forgotten the blood of Jesus and what it means to us, forgotten the love of God, forgotten the great Savior we have. If you're not growing in the true knowledge of God, if your faith in Christ is not guiding you toward him such that you'll become a partaker of the divine nature, one of his children, renovated by his power, a partaker of his glory, You've forgotten all the stuff God did for you. Therefore, verse 10, brethren, based on what God's done for you and the love he's shown for you and the investment he's made to make you a partaker of the divine nature, therefore, verse 10, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Be all the more. I already told you, make every effort. Give all diligence. Okay, that sounds hard, Peter. And then Peter's like, give me more. Do more. This is it. This is what the whole thing's about. Whatever you've got to give, that's what you've got to pursue. He used that word practice there. Y'all remember practice? Practice. I don't know what sports you played growing up. If you're in band, that may have been even more practice. And you're always figuring out how to play that thing just right. You're always figuring out what was the play that we're trying to do. What's the whole deal? Practice, practice, practice. And it's hard. And frankly, usually when you're practicing, it doesn't feel like you're accomplishing much. Because all you're looking at is we keep running the same play over and over and over and over again. And coach keeps telling us how we keep messing up. I keep trying to play this piece over and over. And I keep getting told by my instructor, my director, that it's messing up. But then one day, one day, you get out on the field and it just happens. Like you were born to do this. You weren't born to do it. You had to give all diligence in practicing it. But then one day you woke up and you were ready and you belonged out on that field. When you sat down with the orchestra, you had a place there because you had given all diligence to practice these things. And that's really what this goal is all about. Verse 11 says, for in this way, in this way, as we've become partakers of the divine nature through faith in Christ, through growing and building the true knowledge of God, giving all diligence to that, in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. The reason why God wants us to become like him, to become partakers of the divine nature, is so that we will belong with him. The reason why God wants us to become like him is so that we will belong with him. That's what it's all about. That's why God cares about this. That's why God puts us through all the rigors that he puts us through in these things. I remember the first time uh, I saw a dog salon. Don't remember the first time you saw one of those? Not a regular haircut in place for human beings, but a haircut in place for dogs. You remember the first time you saw one of those? What did you think about that? I thought, what, what are we doing? What happened? What has happened here? I didn't know we needed this. And then, and then I was walking around one day and there were dogs in clothes, which is wild 
because dogs come with built-in clothes already. And then I remember distinctly one time we were in church and a lady brought in her nicely trimmed, clothed dog in church right there. And hey, that's great. That's fine. I'm not mad about it. I'm just saying, what are we doing? And of course, there's, there's lesser versions of this. Dogs, which are made to run, be wild, be free, we teach them to have manners. Sit when it's time to sit. Don't be messy with your food. Keep it in this one little place. And make sure when you need to use the facilities, be a polite person about it. And don't just do it wherever you want. Why do we do all that stuff with dogs? And those of you who've done that, by the way, you've given great effort for that. You've invested a lot to make that possible. Why? Because when you're watching TV, you want to have your dog right beside you. Your friend. That's why. That's why it's cool that you've done all that stuff. And if you take them to the salon, that's great. And if whatever, I don't care. That's fine. I'm happy for you if you do all that stuff. But we know the reason why. Is because you want, you want them to be with you. And so ultimately what you had to do in order to make them able to be with you is you had to make your dog be like you. Second Peter chapter 2 is a zoo. Peter talks about those false teachers, and while he talks about it, he talks about how there's donkeys and uh, pigs and dogs and unreasoning animals, and he says all these people who are going against the true knowledge of God, who do not have faith in Christ, who are not pursuing the divine nature, are actually coming to share in the animal nature. And the destiny for us, if we allow that to happen in our lives, you know what it is? Utter destruction. In 2 Peter 3, that's what he talks about. He says the thing that y'all need to get ready for is judgment day is coming. And all the things that are of this world and all the things that belong here, they're going to be melted away. And the only things that will last, and they will last, are the ones who have been trained. House trained. Not for a house in this world. But trained to become partakers of the divine nature. So that we'll belong in the place where the divine belongs. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll end here. 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 11. It says, since all these things, since all the things of the world are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Or we might say, striving after being partakers of the divine nature. This is what we're going after. Verse 12 looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Judgment day is not something that frightens us if we're in Jesus Christ. We look forward to it. Why? Because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. That stuff's not too exciting, but here's the thing that is. But according to his promise, and maybe if we'll go all the way back to the beginning, his great and magnificent promise, we... We who are becoming partakers of the divine nature. We who are coming to share the DNA of our elder brother Jesus. We who God's glory is coming into and renovating us to make us into something brand new. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The righteousness that Peter began this letter with. The righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what this whole goal is about is that whenever we see him, we'll be like that kid who belongs on the field. He put in all that work. And he wasn't born to be a player like that, but he became one. 
He belongs in that field. It's like that girl who sits down in the orchestra and she knows this is where I belong. Whenever we do that, we're not going to beat our chest or think, oh, look at what I did. We'll look up at the one directing the great divine orchestra in the new heavens and new earth. We'll look on our Savior and we'll remember the words of Peter that he uses to close this letter in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, this great dream. Forgive us, Father, for the times whenever we're satisfied with things that are too small compared to what you want for us. Forgive us for being lazy toward this goal. Forgive us for pursuing goals of the world or goals of our flesh. And we pray, God, now that you'd renew our minds, that you'd give us your spirit, your heart, so that your goal for us would be our goal, that we would become partakers of your nature, that we'd be good children who bear your image in this world until the day we see you face to face so that we can be with you forever in that place where righteousness dwells. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.